the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Ring of Truth with our pastor and teacher, Dan Sexton, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Ellicott City. Please join Pastor Dan as he teaches through God's Word. Ahaz put his faith in Assyria instead of putting his faith in God. But even though he rejected God, God still pursued Ahaz. You see just a, a picture of God's grace in the way that he dealt with Ahaz. God continued to try to convince Ahaz to believe in his promise. He tried to persuade Ahaz to put his trust in him and believe his word. If we were to be perfectly honest, many of us have gone about things the hard way, simply because we decided not to trust in the Lord. While some situations can be more of a leap of faith than others, we often let our doubt get the best of us, even though God is faithful. In today's message, Pastor Dan reflects on the grace of God towards Ahaz, even in his constant lack of faith and rebellion. In his study, you'll learn yet another example of God's grace, love, and mercy, and how he pursues us, even in our hard-heartedness towards him. And now, open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 8 as we join Pastor Dan for today's edition of Ring of Truth. Isaiah chapter 8, as we continue our journey through the Old Testament, we're also going to look in the book of Deuteronomy and 1 Peter tonight. So if you want to mark those in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 8, Deuteronomy, and 1 Peter. Well, this, this section of Isaiah takes place during the reign of King Ahaz, And you may recall that King Ahaz was a wicked king. He was probably the worst king that Judah had, or one of the worst kings that Judah had in their history. And if you remember from chapter 7, the northern kingdom of Israel and the Syrians had teamed together, and they were amassing troops on the border, and they were preparing to invade Judah, the southern kingdom. And... King Ahaz and the people of Judah were aware of this, and they were terrified, and they were very fearful because of this invasion that was imminent coming from the north. And so God sent Isaiah the prophet to King Ahaz to tell King Ahaz, don't fear the the Syrians and the northern kingdom. Don't be afraid. Their threats are going to come to nothing. They're they're not going to attack the city of Jerusalem and, and conquer it. Uh, they're not, their plans are not going to succeed. And at that point, King Ahaz had a choice. He had the choice to believe God or not believe God. And Ahaz chose not to believe God. And instead of believing the promises of God that their, their attack will come to nothing and just trusting in the Lord and believing God's word to him, Ahaz instead went 
to the, the king of Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria, and he paid the king of Assyria to defend his kingdom. And it cost him all of his gold, and he had to take gold out of the temple in Jerusalem to pay off the king of Assyria to buy the protection of the Assyrian military. Assyria was the superpower of the world at that time. They had the most powerful military. And so Ahaz put his faith in Assyria instead of putting his faith in God. But even though he rejected God, God still pursued Ahaz. Uh, You see just a, a picture of God's grace in the way that he dealt with Ahaz. God continued to try to convince Ahaz to believe in his promise. He tried to persuade Ahaz to put his trust in him and believe his word. And again, it's just the grace of God with Ahaz. And we see in verse 1 of chapter 8, Moreover, the Lord said to me, to Isaiah, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Meher Shalah Hashbaz. You see that in your Bible? <laughs> so what God tells Isaiah to do now is, is to take a large scroll or a large sign. You know, sometimes you see people, especially down in the city, you see people that are wearing the sandwich board signs or they're holding up big signs. That's the idea here. Take a large scroll or a large sign. And he says, you're going to write on it with a man's pen. What that means is, is in the language of the common people. Today we might say, put it in plain English. And so he tells them, you're, you're going to make this plain so that the message is clear to everyone in Judah who reads it. And Isaiah is to write the phrase on this sign, Maher Hajbaz. <laughs> Not to be confused with Shamalama Ding Dong, right? <laughs> By the way, this is the longest personal name in the Bible. If you're a trivia person. Longest name in the Bible. And the name means quick to the spoil. Quick to the spoil. It was a phrase that soldiers used after conquering an enemy. When they would go in and take the spoil and loot the towns of the enemy that they conquered. Quick to the spoil. Hasten to the spoil. And Isaiah was commanded to put this phrase on a sign as a message to the people of Judah. And in verse 2, And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberkiah. It's the only place this guy's mentioned in the Bible. So he's to have two witnesses Deuteronomy 19.15 says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses a matter shall be established. And so the Lord appointed these two witnesses who are to be witnesses of the message to the people of Judah. So the people of Judah, they, they can't make an excuse. They can't say, well, God never told us. But no, he's got two witnesses there to, to validate this, to verify this. Verse 3 says, Then I, Isaiah, went to the prophetess, that's his wife. So his wife has the gift of prophecy as well. 
And she conceived a child and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, call his name Mahershala Hajbaz. And so Isaiah's wife conceives a child. She has a son. And his name shall be Mahershala Hajbaz. Imagine growing up with that name. How many times was that kid asked, what did you say your name was? <laughs> Can you spell that for me? <laughs> Do you have a nickname? And his name, though, his name was a testimony to the people. And verse 4 tells us why the Lord wanted Isaiah to name his son quick to the spoil. It says, for before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus, that's the capital of Syria, and the spoil of Samaria, that's the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So the Lord says, before the child can say mama or dada, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria will be destroyed by the king of Assyria. And so God puts a time frame here on the destruction of the northern kingdom and of Syria. You know, just to, within a, a year or two, this is going to take place. How long does it take a child to learn mama or, or dada? And so, again, you see here, the Lord is trying to convince Ahaz to trust him, to believe him. And yet Ahaz will still refuse to believe the Lord, to believe his word. He puts his trust instead in Assyria and not the Lord. Verse 5 says, the Lord also spoke to me again, saying, Inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice in Rezin and in Ramallah's son, now therefore behold, the Lord brings upon, up over them the waters of the, ri the river, the Euphrates, strong and mighty, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and he will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks, he will pass through Judah. That's the southern kingdom. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. In verse 6, speaking of Judah, he says, My people refuse the waters of Shiloh, that flow softly. Now, Shiloh in the New Testament is called Siloam. You know, there's the pool of Siloam. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man at the pool of Siloam. That's Shiloh. Uh, Shiloh or Siloam, is, uh, it, it flowed out of a spring in Jerusalem called the Gihon Spring. The Gihon Spring was the water source for the city of Jerusalem. All the water for the city came out of this one little spring and it flowed into the pool of Siloam or the pool of Shiloh there in the city. Now, just to give you kind of a, a little bit of geography for Israel. Israel does not have 
a major river in the country. It's not like other countries. It's not like Assyria, which has the Tigris and the Euphrates River. It's not like Egypt that has the Nile River. Israel does not have a major river flowing through the country. It doesn't have a Potomac River or a Mississippi River. Uh, It has the Jordan River, but the Jordan River is a small river. The Jordan River is like the Patuxent River. Uh, It's small, it's narrow, and it just kind of winds through the country from the Galilee down to uh, the Dead Sea. But it's not a major waterway like the Mississippi or the Potomac or the Nile or the Tigris or the Euphrates. Israel doesn't have a major river. It doesn't have that major water source like Assyria did. And that's by design. God designed it that way. And I want to show you a couple verses Go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And sometimes you read verses like this in your Bible, and the tendency is just to read them and kind of skip over them. Uh, But but they're significant because it affects the way the people are going to live in the land of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills. Now, we read that and we sound, we say, well, that sounds really nice. A land of brooks and springs and fountains coming out of the earth. That, that sounds beautiful. But what it's, there's also, there's no river there. There's no major water source there. It's a country of little creeks and brooks and springs that bubble up out of the rocks. It's hard to uh, sustain an agricultural nation with just springs that are bubbling up out of the rocks. Now flip over to chapter 11 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 10 and again, this is, this is Deuteronomy. So this is before the children of Israel come into the promised land. They're about to enter in. And the Lord says in Deuteronomy 11.10, For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and you watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. In Egypt, they had the Nile River and they created canal systems to water their fields, to water their crops. And so that's what the idea here is with watering it by foot. They were able, they created mechanisms to carry the water through canal systems out into their fields to water their crops. In other words, they could could use their own ingenuity and their own engineering and their own ability to water their crops when they were in Egypt. And God says, Israel's not going to be like that. The land I'm taking you to is not going to be like the land you've come out of. He says in verse 11, But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. There's no river. You're going to have to depend on rain. A land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, 
the early rain, which softens the soil so you can plant your seed, and the latter rain, which causes the crop to uh, really be fruitful, large. The latter rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil, and I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. In Egypt, they could depend upon themselves and their own ingenuity to produce their crops because they had the Nile River. In Israel, there's no river. There's just brooks, there's springs, there's fountains, and they're going to have to depend upon the rain to water their crops. In other words, in Israel, they're going to have to live by faith. They're going to have to live by faith. They're going to have to trust the Lord to provide sufficient rain at the right time of year to water the crops because they're not going to be able to engineer that in, in Israel the way that they could engineer it in Egypt and control it. It's totally by faith in Israel. And he tells them that it's going to be contingent upon their obedience to his commands. And so now in Israel, they have to live by faith. They have to trust the Lord. Going back to Isaiah, when Isaiah says that Judah has rejected the waters of Shiloh, Shiloh is what God provided for the water source for the people living in the city of Jerusalem. And so when Isaiah says they've rejected the waters of Shiloh, he's saying they've rejected God's provision for them. God's called them to live a life of faith. And they don't like living a life of faith. They don't want to live a life of faith. They don't like that. They don't don't like that system. They, They wanted to walk by sight, not by faith. The northern kingdom of Israel and Syria, they're about to invade into their land and and, and they don't want to just believe by faith that God will protect them and prevent them from invading and destroying the city of Jerusalem and taking over. They don't want to live by faith. They don't want to just trust that God's going to do that. They don't want to just like believe his word and his promise to them. They, They, you know, that to them, that's not a battle plan. That's not a battle plan. You know, we're just going to trust the Lord to defend us. Well, what do you mean? We're just going to trust the Lord <laughs> he's going to, because he said he's going to protect us. Yeah, but they're amassing an army on the border. They're about to invade the land. Yeah, well, the Lord said he's going to protect us. We're just trusting that he's going to protect us. They wanted a tangible, something they could see to protect them. They wanted an army. They wanted a big army. That's why they go to Assyria. They don't want a trickling spring. They want a mighty river. A mighty river feels more substantial. It feels safe to them, you know, much more than a spring just bubbling up out of the ground. They've rejected what God has provided for them, and they've gone off, and they've, they've gotten their own provision, their own protection now, going to Assyria. And what the Lord says in verses 7 and 8 is, you notice this, they're, they're trusting in Assyria to protect them, but he tells them in verses 7 and 8, that Assyria will not only overflow the northern kingdom and Syria, they will also invade into Judah also. They they will flood into Judah like a river overflowing its banks. And look at verse 8. 
They will reach up to your neck, it says. So they will not completely wipe out Judah, but they're really going to devastate the land of Judah. They're going to just overflow the land. This nation that Judah is trusting in, the Lord is warning them, they're going to turn against you. And they're not going to stop at the border once they destroy the northern kingdom. They're going to invade Judah as well. And the Lord is warning them here that it's going to bring devastation to their own land. This invasion, it takes place during the reign of King Hezekiah. It's described in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 13 to 16. And we're told there that when Assyria invaded the southern kingdom of Judah, it says they took all of the fortified cities of Judah, all of them but Jerusalem. So the Assyrians invaded and they conquered all of the cities except for for Jerusalem. Just imagine that. Their, Their whole nation is conquered. All but one city. That's all they have left. And that's what God meant when he said the water will be up to your neck. Assyria is going to come in and take everything except for Jerusalem. And look at the end of verse 8. The end of verse 8, it says, Assyria will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Remember back in chapter 7, verse 14? It's where we saw that, that name, Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we know that that's fulfilled ultimately by Jesus Christ. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And verse 8 is telling us that the land of Israel belongs to Emmanuel. It belongs to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that one day Jesus Christ will return physically to the earth. And he will return specifically to the land of Israel, to the city of Jerusalem. And he will establish his kingdom there in Jerusalem. And he will rule over all of the earth from that city in the land of Israel. So the land belongs to Emmanuel. Now look at verse 9. God is speaking to Judah. Remember Judah, has, they're not trusting the Lord, they're trusting in Assyria. And God has just told them that, hey... Assyria is going to come and attack you as well and and conquer your land as well. And they still don't repent. They still don't turn to the Lord, even with that news. So then in verse 9, the Lord says, Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. He asked me how I know, and I say, Bring truer than the finest crystal. We're so glad you joined us today for Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear additional teachings from this series, they're available to you for free at calvaryec.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. That way you will have access to each message as soon as it's made available online. That website again is calvaryec.com. If you live in the Baltimore, Washington area, we'd love for you to worship with us this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Calvary Chapel is located in Columbia, Maryland, only minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. For more information on what you can expect when you visit, go to calvaryec.com or give us a call. We can be reached at 410-491-4592. Again, that phone number is 410-491-4592.
We look forward to you joining us as our guests. And please, take a moment to introduce yourself to Pastor Dan after the service and let him know you listen to Ring of Truth. With that, our time with you has come to an end today on Ring of Truth. Join Pastor Dan next time for more from this verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Isaiah, right here on Ring of Truth. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.